inspiration, success stories, expert advice, strategies, new ideas, and amazing conversations. Everything you need to become a great speaker. This is Oscar Santolaya, and welcome to Time to Shine. Hello, and thank you for joining today. Today I have a really amazing guest which I have been following for several years. And now that I'm coming back, uh, what I have read from him, one of these phrases like data is the new oil is one of the phrases that I heard from him for the first time. And now it's here. We're going to talk about the future, but in a really very special way. Let me introduce you. My guest today is Ger Leonard. He is a futurist, keynote speaker, author, and CEO of the Futures Agency, listed by Wire Magazine as one of the top 100 most influential people in Europe, 2015. Gerd Leonard's work focuses on the future of humanity and technology, digital transformation, big data, automation, artificial intelligence and robotics, media content, marketing and advertising, telecommunications, culture, tourism, banking and financial services, and leadership. His presentations are renowned for a hard-hitting and provocative yet inspiring humorous and motivating style. Gary is a much sought-after speaker, having presented at more than uh, 1,500 events in more than 40 countries since 2005. He resides in Zurich, Switzerland. Hello, Gerd. Hello, everyone. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Very welcome to the show, Gerd. Could you start telling us a bit more about yourself, but especially what a futurist, because this is what you are today, a futurist. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really quite simple. I spent uh, 95% of my time looking at what might be rather than what is. Uh, most businesses have a hard time going beyond the operational, mm. you know, quarterly, monthly, maybe a year. And this is why a lot of companies are blindsided because technology is moving so quickly now that if you don't look ahead, you don't know what's coming. You don't have time to prepare. You know, this is exponential now. Uh, and so I help companies and I have a team of roughly 25 people who are doing, helping me with that as well. We help companies to sort of look at five years ahead and then go backwards to reinvent what they are doing. We're also working for cities, governments, uh, private organizations, NGOs, basically doing future scenarios and future work and helping people to understand how to get ready for that. Mm-hmm. So that's what a future is and what you do. And how did you start your career as a, as a speaker? Because you were writing several books, at least since early 2000, right? And well, I, I, I was a musician and producer mm-hmm. for 15 years. And then I got into the music business in the mid-90s, a digital music business, you know, downloading, streaming music, mm-hmm. uh, licensing, and so on. And then I realized I was much better at um, at finding things that, that looked like they're going to be interesting for the future that, mm. rather than to make companies from it. You know, I did about a dozen startups and then I mm. eventually I decided that my calling was more to help people understand the future rather than to monetize 
uh, and 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 do startups. And ever since then, I wrote a book called The Future of Music in 2005, and that became a bestseller. And now it's basically has become my job to think about those scenarios outside of music, of course, you know, film, television, marketing, technology. And now it's basically pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all started with music, and then you went to the future. And as you say, also you have a uh, you have a film, right? You have a film that you have. Yeah, I've been I've been making films in the last few years, and I'm, I've teamed up with John Francois Cadella, who's my art director and producer, uh, pretty well known for filmmaking, and uh, he's helping me to create short films. I have a new one on uh, technology versus humanity. Mm-hmm. That's my that's my main topic now how technology is changing humanity. I have a new book coming out. It's called Technology Versus Humanity. And you can see the film at techversusvs, techversushuman.com. That's a shortcut to my website. And it's a three-minute film about that. And and then I made a 30-minute film about the future of business. That's also on my website, so it's pretty easy to find. But uh, yes, I mean, films are obviously a big deal because people want to watch things now, right? Mm. <laughs> so. They don't want to read anymore, but but they may still be reading. But uh, it's basically, uh, I mean, it's obviously winning a format, right? Yeah, true, true. I have, for instance, uh, here in the, your book, uh, Music 2.0. That's one of the okay, yeah, okay, yeah. books in the earlier years. But that's true. And now it's um, the tendency to 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 consume just by videos. And yeah, this... this um, well, I think people are going back to reading books as well. And but you know, audio audio is a very big thing. People are really listening to audio now. That's why I really believe in podcasts mm-hmm. uh, because I mean it's quite obvious that uh, you can't always watch something. You know, it's, oh, yeah. you know you have to you have to use audio as as an alternative. Yeah, that's true for these idle times when you are uh, like driving, for instance. Yeah. yeah, or just when the eyes are tired, you know, then, <laughs> you know, audio, audio is a very good medium. I really believe that audio has a great future. Yeah, that's correct. Awesome. And now um, I know that there are several videos of your talks on YouTube and on your website, several places there are several, but um, let's pay attention to your TEDx uh, talk in Brussels you have, I think it was end of 2014, if I'm... Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The title is Digital Ethics and the Future of Humans in a Connected World. Could you tell us a bit of this experience? So I don't know how many people were in this TEDx Brussels, for instance. Tell us a bit of this experience you had. Well, there were about 2,000 people, mm. and this is why I did TED. I, I get a lot of requests for TEDx. I don't really do that many anymore because there's mm. so many. But this was sure. a great event, and it was, of course, connected to the European Commission, <clears throat> who lots of people there. So my topic was... Uh, you know, a lot of these events where technology is becoming, you know, it's 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 people are adoring technology and they're celebrating technology and they're, mm. you know, they're obsessed with technology. And, and uh, of course, clearly I come from technology as well, so I understand. But, but the thing is that now technology is becoming so powerful that we need to uh, think about what it does to our ethical and our human time frame, right? Like, uh, you know, we're... Humans are not machines. They need downtime. They are not efficient. They have mysteries. You know, they have emotions. And now the world is is becoming what has been called the second machine age, right? To where everything is handled by computer, a machine, or robot, or software. You know, whether it's dating or apps, or even getting mm-hmm. a divorce. You can get divorced with an app now, right? Wow. 
Um, so it's this, this whole thing is becoming, uh, to, for some reason, it's becoming something really powerful that is overwhelming us in many ways. And so this, this book I'm writing and the, the talk I gave on digital ethics was asking a key question, which is it no longer really matters um, if technology can do something because the answer is technology always can do pretty much anything, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it can translate my language. It can uh, it can look at my genetic uh, DNA and maybe do some editing to make me not get sick. It can solve global warming. It can do all these things, right? And so the question is not if it can do that, but but why it would do it, right? What is the purpose? And so part of my talk was the uh, the proposition that I think ultimately technology should be a tool, not the purpose, right? So mm-hmm. I like to say te- technology is not what we seek, but how we seek, right? We, we don't seek to live in technology. We, we use technology for something else, which usually is happiness of some sort, right? So... Uh, and that's an important theme. So we should not confuse technology with the purpose of having technology. Mm-hmm. So you are also focusing a lot on ethics on your coming book, correct? Yes, but not ethics in the sense of, of practical things. You know, for mm-hmm. example, now technology, every day there's a major invention that makes us question our ethics. Yeah, yes. right? For example, if we can use artificial intelligence to fire 50% of people that work for us well, and we can buy software and robots and replace them, you know, that that's good for the bottom line. It's good for margin, right? Mm-hmm. But it has the ethics of what do we do with all the people who get fired, right? I mean, this is an ethical question, a societal question. Should we allow companies eventually to lay off and fire 90% of their staff because they can, right? It's an ethical question, societal question, and then we have questions about changing our genetic uh, makeup, mm-hmm. right? Uh, of course, it would be great if we don't ha- have cancer, but we can use the same technology to uh, solve uh, other issues and maybe change program our babies, you know, to see what they look like, right? Uh, and th- those are ethical issues. So every day we go out, for example, you know, it's the ethical issue about using technology. It, it is very convenient and very magical, but it's also creating a very large surveillance. Uh, so everything that we do when we are connected is being tracked and we can mm-hmm. be tracked and we become completely like a panopticon, right? Uh-huh. So that, that is an ethical question. Should government step in and prevent the use of their data or should they protect us? Or So those are all ethical issues. They're not really technology issues. Yes, and I, well, there's so many interesting topics you cover, like privacy and digital ethics in several aspects. And wow, it's awesome that you are really taking your time to to bring this um, to the to the masses, and so everybody can really understand this and have a really good opinion what's what's going on. And this, I I assume, it's not easy to explain because there are so many of these uh, terms that. People are not familiar, even from the present, and you're talking some of them who are talking about the future. So how how difficult or easy is to talk about all these types of topics for a very wide audience? Yeah, it can be quite hard, but you know, in general, I think the the bottom line is really apparent to everyone. Every person knows that uh, technology is now becoming increasingly powerful and cheap. And and pretty much every person in, in the world is concerned about what technology does to us as people. 
uh, and the good and the bad things about technology, right? I always said the technology is a is hell. Then you know it's hell and heaven. <laughs> right? So, for example, it's heaven if I can go to Helsinki and use Google Maps to find a place, right? Mm. But it would be it would be hell if can, if Google can use all of my data, including what I've eaten and and how fast my heart, my my pulse is running, right, and how many steps I've taken, you know, if they can use all that data to create a profile that they would sell for marketing, right? That mm. that that's hell. Right? Not to say that Google does that, but of, of course they could do that, right? Mm. Facebook does that, so. This is basically, I think that that topic, everybody understands the problem here. We have to use technology, but we don't want to become technology. Because when humans become technology, we become useless, right? We are, we are really bad technology because we are, we're not machines, right? We have lots of flaws and we should not remove, we should not remove those pieces, these, these flaws from our existence because they would remove humanity from us. And that would be a very bad idea because then we we become a commodity. We become biological algorithms, you know. So these topics are really easy to understand. Other ones are more difficult, like artificial intelligence and big data and, you know, business issues. But I think these days people really recognize what is going on is that technology is now changing the world around us at a, at a really fast angle. And we have to understand what it is. And then we have to decide if we want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's true. Also, um, things go fast, but also people start learning faster. This 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 type of things. And one thing I I I know you do. You mentioned already videos, but also on your presentations, uh, you use a lot of visuals, right? You use a lot of uh, photos. At, at mm-hmm. least I noticed that in many of your presentations, you have really. A uh, big number of photos going one another and another. And how many, for instance, just uh, security, how many photos or slides per talk or per minute do you usually have? Well, I've been trying to use less and, mm-hmm. and better ones. You know, it's always a, a challenge when you study things a lot, then you always want to, you know, use too many things. And that's, I think that's one of the challenges of being a futurist and a speaker is that <laughs> when you, once you get into the topic, you could speak for three hours oh, yes. and, and you could use 500 slides. So I've been trying to reduce basically a slide a minute, maybe less. And I've been trying to get from 50 to 20 <laughs> and not succeeding <laughs> quite yet. But, you know, I've also, I've hired my own graphic and art director who's doing my own graphics. So I'm making a big shift into using really powerful graphics. And so, so it's a, I mean, I think it's from, from, for most people, having, having gr- good graphics or videos really makes it possible for them to immerse themselves. Mm. In, it's, like, it's like a movie, right? Mm-hmm. So in many ways, it's very cinematic. You know, you, you hopefully watch my keynote. It's like going inside of something, right? Uh, and it's not just intellectual. I think the real problem is that, for example, many TED Talks are just intellectual entertainment of a sort. And that's, a, that's not a bad thing. It's just... I strive to go a little bit deeper and and, uh, and give people a, a wake-up call, but also make them feel positive, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Absolutely. Because so many things in the future might, might scare a bit out to the people. But you, I know you, you, you balance this. You bring the... Uh, I, well, I, I always like to say the future is better than we think. Oh. Uh, that, that's just because, you know, we are used to entertainment, mostly from Hollywood. Mm. 
that's just utter dystopian mm. garbage. You know, it's I mean a lot of stuff like Blade Runner and those kind of you know <clears throat> uh, the, the Space Odyssey and stuff. Those are milestones, right? But by and large, put Hollywood productions tend to emphasize our fear. Oh yeah, that's what it, yeah. what sells. Fear sells. Well, fear fear sells. That's a very bad idea because. Mm. Our future is just so much better than what we're seeing here. We're not going to get killed by the robots. We could get killed by the robots if we're utterly stupid. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and we don't do what needs to be done, right? That is possible, but it's highly unlikely that, you know, we, we don't have to worry about technology. Uh, we have 10% worry and 90% good things right now, right? There are significant worries like privacy and so on. But but they are, the proportion that f- people feel in the media is like ninety percent going to take our jobs and kill yes, yes. or kill our children. You know that's just a little bit hypothetical. Mm-hmm. So that's a great scene that um, yeah, as you as speaker are, are reaching uh, millions of people. Um, you you bring this um, positive balance about the future and also. Uh, you were saying you you have of course your media creator for your slide or for your visual you use on your all your productions and that's uh, definitely very important and I I noticed that the, the quality of just one having the precise photo precise um, graph can really oh, help a lot of course uh, having you as a as the storyteller on the presentation. Well, I try to, you know, I mean, I'm, I have licensed over 20,000 images and, <laughs> and I spend a lot of money on, on licensing. Con- Sometimes I use things that I can't find who owns it and then I use it and try to license it later. But, you know, for, for public performance, a lot of that is really kind of fair use. Uh, for books, it's different. But, you know, this is a long story, but basically looking for visual assets and stories, that's, that's a big part of my job. Mm-hmm. You know, find one good picture to say something really complex. Yeah, because that's how people understand things. Right? Yes, definitely. I, I I know you use really graphs or photos that those are not easy to find for sure. <laughs> not at all. And now thinking of day-to-day communication among people, do you think that technology has already changed drastically how we communicate each other? What's well, the balance? Well, there's no doubt about that. I mean, uh, communication has become utterly cheap and fast and ubiquitous, right? The problem with communication is no longer that we have to pay or, or that there's a limit, is that there's too much of it, <laughs> right? It's, it's, a, it's we're overwhelmed with the possibilities of communication. And, and so we need to be smarter about how we use it. For example, for a lot of people, uh, offline is becoming a new luxury, right? Mm. It's a it's a luxury if you can disconnect because, you know, human nature is that we need time to contemplate and and reflect on things, otherwise we just overload, right? Because we don't have the processing capability of, uh, you know, dealing with fifteen thousand friends, or we can deal with fifteen friends, right? And so, what we shouldn't do is try to become multitasking machines, you know. Ouch. Be- <laughs> uh, you know, and people are doing that, and it's, and I think it's very unhealthy. You have this thing called digital obesity, which is like oh, yeah. you know, when you're obese uh, physically, that's a real problem. Lots of people are, and when you get digitally obese, you're completely bloated with information right? and context. So that that has really changed, and I think now now we're coming back to the point of where we're saying, well, we want to communicate, but it's really about the quality, not the quantity. And this is, of course, a big problem for Twitter and Facebook because, you know, it's primarily about 
quantity. Yeah, there's so much, and we're all tweeting a lot. <laughs> well, I use Twitter a lot, and I love I love Twitter, but <laughs> you have to make a difference between what is really what is powerful and relevant, and what is just like a like a fire hose, right? Uh, so it's okay to have lots of signals, or lots of noise, right? But you also have to have good signals. Mm. So, and that's really the art of communication, you know, communicating with the right people at the right time, having the right channels and focusing on what matters. I, that takes some practice. A lot of people get lost in that, you know? Mm -hmm. And having, of course, a, a great message, valuable message and, and well-crafted that, Of course, it takes a lot of time to prepare something. And of course, you, you need technology to filter, right? So I use lots of technologies. I like Slack and Dropbox and readers and Instagram, Instapaper, and, you know, to filter or, and organize the, the information. Uh, if you don't do that, then you very easily get lost. Excellent. And now thinking about the future of public speaking, What do you think is going to be the future of public speaking? Things will change a lot. Will the robot interfere? Machines? What do you think? Publishing? Public speaking. Oh, public speaking. <laughs> well, um, well, publishing will also change, right? But public speaking, I mean, basically, the, <coughs> the realization I had just this year when I did some work for IBM, mm -hmm. uh, doing, uh, looking at their things that they do with IBM Watson and so on, Um, I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling to see that that uh, basically machines can start doing some thinking now, right? they, and they can understand language, and they can have you know cognitive computing skills, and, and they can learn things. As you can see, the recent uh, the the win of uh, Google DeepMind's Go, winning against the Go champion, right? Mm. The Chinese game yeah. Go. So basically, my view is that the power of knowledge. Just understanding facts and being informed is decreasing mm -hmm. because machines can have that power and are starting to have that power. So uh, I think it was um, um, Asimov, uh, uh, Victor Asimov, who, Isaac Asimov, who said that uh, we should try to be speed understanders, not speed readers. Right? And so speed reading is kind of like compiling information. And robots and machines can do that. So, and in fact, the TED conference will, I think, in a year or two, have the first speaker that's an AI. It's a robot giving a talk. <laughs> I mean, you can ask IBM Watson, what's the future of Europe? And you'll get an answer. <laughs> uh, and it will be a good answer, but it will be fact-based, of course. It will not be understanding in the sense of human understanding, right? Because the difference between man and machine is that <clears throat> we are beings, which means... A very complex thing. <coughs> We're not just engines, right? A computer can never be, but they can simulate a mm -hmm. being, right? Yes. So there's value in them, obviously. But I think my job is changing entirely towards being more human, not being smarter. And I think that's a realization that most of us being smart and being informed and knowing lots of things, you know, data points, it's not a lasting advantage. I mean, we, we, we have to know a lot of things, of course, right? But my business isn't going to be based on knowledge. It's going to be based on understanding, you know, foresights, intuition, imagination, you know. Well, awesome. You said speed understanding. How, how we can achieve that? 
Well, well, we have to go back to you know what used to be called the right brain, which is basically, you know, I call those I call those things the humor rhythms uh, as opposed to the algorithms. Right? So I made up this word called like human and rhythm, right? Uh-huh. Humor rhythm, and it's basically humor rhythms are all the things that computers can't do: uh-huh. a- empathy, compassion, mm-hmm. negotiation, therapy, design. Uh, maybe marketing, creativity, you know, the things that has to do with ideas and and embodiment, right, and holistic thinking. So our future advantage will lie all in that direction. Mm-hmm. And that has been referred to sometimes as a Star Trek economy, uh, which is basically saying the computers do everything but that. Mm-hmm. Right? So we use, we, we stand on top of those giants, you know, giant machines, uh, cloud robotics and quantum computers, big data and the internet of things. Uh, we, we stand on top of that and then mm-hmm. we basically use what we can do best, which is not mathematical, mm-hmm. or at least not for most of us, right? So the human rhythms are becoming very powerful. So jobs of the future would combine algorithms and STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, and so on, they will combine that with humanities. This is why I believe that humanities are essential part of our future to study and to educate our children. Well, this is an excellent takeaway what you said that, yeah, we have to focus on, on, on what humans do, on being humans and not focusing so much on what, what machines can do. More well, let's put, let's put it that way. You you have to understand technology. You have to mm. you have to know and understand and use technology like a digital native, right? That is absolutely mandatory. Mm-hmm. If you if you don't do that, then you'll be lost very quickly. <laughs> but at the same time, our lives are not technology, right? Our lives are anything but technology. And in fact, people make decisions not based on data, but based on emotions and intuition and humanity. Right? So we shouldn't pretend that our life is 95% technology mm. because it's not, right? It's, it's 98% humanity. The rest is kind of the stuff around it. And that's really important to understand when you're, when you're working in technology. Right? Uh, every time you do something, you make an ethical decision, you make a human decision, you can increase happiness or you can decrease happiness, right? Um, and so that's also really responsibility, right? Now we have so much power in technology that we also need to learn responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. Ger, could you now share with us your favorite quotation? Well, I have a few. You know, I'm a collector of quotations, of course. <laughs> um, the German philosopher Heidegger, who is not very popular anymore because he he was a, a political uh, fallout of the Nazi period, but his work before that, uh, uh, some, sometimes called this one sentence I like to use, it says, "We um, technology is not what we seek, but how we seek. Very important quote. Right? So technology is important, but it's not what we seek. Right? The other one is William Gibson, science fiction author, right, who likes to say that the future is already here, but it's just unevenly distributed. Mm. Right? Um, and then I, I used one for my company, the Futures Agency. It says it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. So uh, we use this a lot for our clients saying, now if you, if you want to design the future and be there in the future, you can't start working on the future when the present has ended. <laughs> right? And so basically you design the arc when it's not raining, but you know it's going to rain. You know it's going to rain, exactly. You, you know that. 
you know something about the future. Yes. Well, it's it's not hard to understand. Really, mm. it's just that you know people are really they people don't change or companies don't change unless they get painful experiences <laughs> or they fall in love with another idea. So that's kind of what you have to do if you want to really change the company. Company needs to experience some pain or or, or simulate the pain. Right, that's also possible. Uh, or or just fall in love with an idea, like Bezos fell in love with the Kindle. Ker, <laughs> right? now could you recommend us uh, one book that has been particularly inspiring or influential for you? Well, there are a lot. I think that, uh, well, of course, I, I read a lot of books, but I think the the most important one I've recently have contributed to, mm -hmm. um, and that's called the Future of Business. Uh, it's a huge book, 600 pages. I, I contributed with only one chapter called The Future of Humanity. But The Future of Business is a fantastic compilation. 62 futurists wow. uh, have written this book. And I, I recommend you don't get the physical version because it will obviously blow you away and also be un, unsuited for carry-on luggage. But um, <laughs> The Future of Business is published, published by Rohit Talvar. Right, who is um, uh, who is one of my close colleagues, and he's the publisher. But if you Google the future of business at Gerd, my name G E R D, and of course it's on Amazon and stuff. So uh, I've been reading the other chapters by the colleagues, and it's really mind-boggling information. And the other one that's really good right now and, and very well, it's very pro Silicon Valley, so I'm critical of that. But it's called the Exponential Organization. Um, So it's it's by Salim Ismail and Yuri van Gees, who's one of my colleagues, and it's very pro Silicon Valley, but it, okay. it does point out what is happening with technology. Mm. Oh, sounds really interesting. Oh, thanks a lot for recommending this. Okay. Finally, could you share with us an exercise, something practical that you recommend to do in daily or weekly as a routine to shine? Well, I think the most practical thing is you can say, well, I, I really need to spend five to ten percent of my time looking at the future um and that's essential because only when you do that then that's when you realize what is possible and what you could be doing in the future to get better right mm -hmm. i mean it's it's basically i think when you when you look at the future and, and you're you're ready to um to understand what it does that's when you generate ideas Uh, mm -hmm. And that's, I think anybody in any position needs to do that. And I know people are very busy, but it should be, you know, if you're the CEO of a company, you need to give people maybe 5% of their time to look at future scenarios, things that aren't, you know, Gary Hamill, who's a great author in business books, he said that the the detriment of most companies is that they overinvest, they overinvest in what is mm. and, and, and ignore what isn't. Right? They don't invest in what is not yet here. Right? Mm -hmm. so, so that's my recommendation so five to ten minutes per day uh, thinking about the future and some some gu guidelines how you do it for instance oh well i i connect to all the important people in this turf I, i use twitter and and of course rss feeds and i i basically collect all all these information and people that i listen to and then i use an offline reading app i use instapaper and get mm -hmm. pocket uh, to save links offline. And then when I'm traveling, I read all that stuff when I'm traveling. So I constantly read on my iPhone and iPad and Kindle. 
the stuff I've saved offline, you know, for reading on the airplane and stuff. So basically pick out the hand-picked topics that you're interested mm. in, like the future of health or medical or whatever you, and, and you read the stuff that's being fed to you through Google and through, and through Facebook and Flipboard and all these things, right? And that's the way, that's how you keep up with the flow of things, right? So reading is very important and read at least two books a month. Right? That's the other important thing. Yeah, that's a definitely a great idea, great piece of advice. Well, thanks a lot, Ger. It was really a fascinating interview. Talking so many faces of the future that are coming. I like a lot your is this positive balance. So you're talking about the future and since your piece of advice, how we can deliver topics that have a little bit of the future to make it simpler and understandable. Could you finally tell us how can we learn more about you, follow you? What's the best way? Well, the I think the best way is my website, futuristgerd.com, like futuristgerd.com. Uh, and of course, my YouTube channel has 278 hours of videos, so you can ruin your entire weekend Whoa. by watching it and fast, <laughs> and fast forward. Uh, the address is gerdtube, like G-E-R-D, tube is a shortcut, right? Uh -huh. uh, gerdtube.com. Um, so that would be the best way to find out more. My new book, Technology versus Humanity, is out in four weeks. Wow. And the website will be techversushuman.com. Oh. Uh, and that's that's all getting ready. So in the meantime, watch my videos. I think that's the best way to get started. And uh, I have an iTunes podcast with all the keynotes as audio. So if you if you look on iTunes, just search for Gerd Leonhardt or Futurist Gerd, and you'll find all you need. Excellent. Yes, all this material is really awesome. So highly recommend it also. Thank you very much, Ger, and I wish you all the best. Yes, take care. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Did you like it? Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or visit us at timetoshinepodcast.com. Until next time...